Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. Purdue rallied for a dramatic 92-86 to win over Alabama up in Canada over the weekend, pushing the Boilermakers to a 9-1 record as a massive game looms next weekend in Indianapolis. I'll break down the victory over the Crimson Tide with some takeaways before looking ahead a little bit to that game against Arizona and then answering your questions before closing out with a few news and notes from the football transfer portal as Ryan Walters looks to build towards a better 2024 season. If you don't already, be sure to follow on Twitter at Boilers Beyond. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. And just a quick little thank you. This is the 200th episode of this show. Uh, I appreciate all of you who have listened over the past three and a half years or so, uh, whether you've been around you know, since 2020, whether you're newer to the show. I just want to say I appreciate you all who listen to this. Uh, it's always fun to come on here and talk Purdue sports with you all. Really appreciate you guys. Love interacting with you and looking forward to what's to come. And it looks like we're going to have some fun coming here as we really saw on Saturday with Purdue taking down Alabama 92-86 to up in Toronto. You know, Purdue storms back in the second half to win this thing after what was really just a, a perfect start for Alabama. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a team make 13 three-pointers and a half, but Alabama did that, and Purdue was down just two points at the break. That in its you know in of itself kind of felt like a win for Purdue, didn't it? It wasn't a perfect half, but you know Purdue was able to hang in there and survive that barrage. And in the second half, Purdue continued to do what Purdue does. Zach Eady became that inevitable force that Alabama could not stop. Braden Smith was absolutely fantastic. Purdue gets out of there with a really big time win. You know, let's start this talking about Zach Eady because this game really was all about him. And that's, you know, to some degree not fair to everyone else who was really good. But, you know, this game was scheduled for him. It was scheduled to get Zach Eady a game back in Toronto where he's really never played much basketball. Um, you know, having really hardly played before he went to IMG for, for his prep school, he's not played a lot of basketball there. And it looked like there were a solid contingent of Zach Eady fans in the crowd. It certainly wasn't a sold-out venue or anything. I don't think anyone expected it to be. But really cool deal for him to get to play in his hometown. Uh, his mom, who's become you know, a star of the Purdue fan base, had such a big group around her cheering him on. Really cool event there. I know the, the NBA guy, the Toronto Raptors fan, was there. I don't really pay attention, but it sounds like he's a big deal. So that's cool. You know, this was a really cool event for Zach Eady, for Toronto. Um, really cool stuff. You don't get college basketball up there much. I can't imagine that college basketball is particularly popular in Canada since they don't play it. But a cool event. Zach Eady was unbelievable, and he has continued to be unbelievable all season long he has picked up completely where he left off from last year you could say he looks even better if that is possible off a national player of the year campaign 
he finishes with 35 points, seven rebounds. You know, that rebound total seems low, but you have to keep in mind, Purdue didn't do a ton of missing for him to get a bunch of offensive rebounds. And Alabama was shooting almost exclusively from three. So those long rebounds are a little bit harder on him since he's right down low. But, you know, he scores 35 points. He goes 11 for 11 from the free throw line. Pretty remarkable. You know, shoots 60% from the floor, 11 of 11 from the free throw line. Insane stuff. Um, insane stuff. I'm telling you, try to enjoy this as much as you can for what you're seeing right now. You know, I know there is pressure to the nth degree on Purdue and what it does this season in the NCAA tournament, but you are never going to find another story like Zach Eady. You'd be hard-pressed to, at least. A guy who didn't play basketball until he was like 16 years old, becoming a national player of the year as a junior, and like his fifth year of playing basketball, looks well on his way to winning national player of the year again this year. Something I wasn't sure he would do, but at this point, it seems very, very likely. Um, I don't know who else would win it right now. He's now 10th in scoring at Purdue, only going up the chart. If Purdue can make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, it's not out of the picture that he passes up Rick Mount as the all-time leading scorer at Purdue, which is pretty crazy to think about. Uh, just a very unheralded recruit comes in. Um, insane. Really insane what he's done. Enjoy it because you know, Purdue's been playing basketball for like 126 years and he's had three national players of the year. John Wooden, Glenn Robinson, and Zach Eady. You don't know when that next one is going to walk through. Enjoy what you have right now. What made this game, though, was Braden Smith. You know, we've seen Zach Eady dominate and Purdue win games because of him. And, you know, Purdue doesn't win that game without Zach Eady, obviously. But Braden Smith was the real difference maker here. 27 points, 5 rebounds, 8 assists to just one turnover. When Purdue needed to seal this game, Braden Smith kind of took it over for, you know, a minute and a half stretch. And that's doesn't seem like much time, but in a close basketball game, that's an eternity. And he hits a hits a layup around the basket, he hits a 3 from the top of the key, hits a couple of mid-range jumpers. He was fantastic. What Purdue can do with he and Zach Eady and ball screen stuff is it's almost unguardable. You know, there, there are obviously ways to stop it that involve just selling out off of everyone else on the floor. But, you know, Braden Smith has taken that leap from a really, really good player as a freshman to right now a great player. And I know that sounds very Jay Billis-like of me, but that's what it is. That's what we're seeing right now. A lot of the conversation around this team is centered around the comparison of last year's team to this year's team. And while it's not always fair, you know, it's certainly valid because so much of the team is the same. The jump of Braden Smith in that confidence and aggression, aggression as a scorer, is a massive difference. You know, he had all the confidence in the world last year, but he started to wear down. 
you could see that you know teams were teams were putting a lot of pressure on him, handled it with mixed results. This year he's been awesome. Right now, I think he's pretty clearly one of the better point guards in the country. Has Purdue ever been able to say that about its point guard? I don't know. I, I'm obviously not that old. I haven't seen everybody here, but what he's doing right now is really, really big time. Through 10 games, 13.2 points, 5.9 rebounds, 7.2 assists to just two and a half turnovers a game. I know that two and a half turnovers a game is a little on the high end, but when you consider the role he plays, there will be turnovers there. He's been incredible. I mean, he's the second leading rebounder on the team, which as a six-foot guard doesn't make sense. But when you watch him play, it makes all the sense in the world because he is he's a special player. He is. Purdue has a big-time duo in him and Zach Eady, both literally and figuratively in a sense with Zach Eady. But that's a one-two punch that's really good. And... Zach Eady is going to be the anchor of this team. He is he is the guy, but Braden Smith is also very much the guy on this team. Uh, he's he was excellent on Saturday against a team that you know wanted to do a lot of full court pressure, wanted to put pressure on Purdue's guards. He handled it great. You know I think you saw a bit of how flexible Purdue can be. You have Braden Smith and you have Zach Eady, and those guys are your guys. But outside of that, you see some rotation. And I look at the four spot yesterday. It wasn't Trey Kaufman-Ren's day. It just wasn't. The matchup was going to be difficult with what Alabama wanted to do, the way Alabama plays. Defensively, a tough matchup for him. I don't think this changes a ton. I... I know a lot of folks don't like him and Zach Eady playing together, but, I mean, they've been plenty effective. Um, it's one of the best lineups in the nation in the advanced metrics on you know some of those sites. But even you look at early on in the game, Purdue's down 8 nothing, and Trey Kaufman-Ren buries a three from the top of the key. Purdue needed a bucket, and he knocks it down. So even in a game that wasn't, you know, a great game for him, wasn't a great matchup for him. He gives you something positive there. Instead, you get Caleb first out there for 20 minutes, and he did some great things. Purdue doesn't need him to be a scorer. Now, he's not. He has his limitations on offense. He's not great around the basket. Uh, we don't see him shoot many threes. He shot more, you know, last year and as a true freshman, but you know, he gets out there six rebounds, a couple assists, and was Purdue's best defender at the four spot, both trying to stay in front of Alabama's guys and also crashing the glass. Because a big part of Alabama's first half success was getting second chance points. Let's see how many, I've got the stats here. You know, Alabama, I guess Alabama only scored 14 second chance points, which isn't terrible, but Nine of those are in the first half. For Purdue, and the way Purdue likes to play, you can't give up a ton of second-chance points because you're trying to negate that by being as big as you are. Caleb First was a difference-maker there. Mason Gillis did some really good things. That little behind-the-neck pass he had to Miles Colvin for a three off an offensive rebound was huge. 
he's you know three boards, three assists, no turnovers in 14 minutes, has five points on three shots. He does little things well. You're seeing Purdue, yes, you know, no one has emerged as the guy at the four. No one is going to emerge as the guy at the four. I don't think you're going to see someone command 25 to 30 minutes at the four a game. That's not the way Purdue's going to play. But you have these options here where you can do some different things. I think the same in the backcourt a little bit. Fletcher Lawyer didn't have his best day. And you don't have to look too hard to see everyone doing the the pile on Fletcher Lawyer thing. But again, the matchup, probably not the best for him. Didn't get his shots to fall. You know, he was 0 for 5 from the floor, goes 4 for 4 at the line, had a few turnovers. But Miles Colvin steps in and give, gives Purdue some great minutes. He has a good bucket early on, going to the basket, and then he hits a big-time three as Purdue's in the midst of its run, taking the lead. He was big. He was really big. And it's good to see him as a true freshman getting out there and putting good minutes together because we've talked about you know the, the adjustment for him, coming from a bit of a smaller high school, not – playing you know super high level AAU ball it's an adjustment it's an adjustment for all freshmen but it's a big one for him this was a matchup that's a little simpler a lot of one-on-one stuff from Alabama Um, you know he's getting more comfortable in what Purdue runs on offense he was able to be out there and give you good minutes and that's huge Lance Jones gives you a solid enough game Uh, nothing crazy for him but he does enough. Uh, he helps you on defense. Purdue's got some real options. Don't don't look past what Ethan Morton is doing, too. Again, not exactly the guy that gets all the love, but this week, you know, against Iowa and against Alabama, he gave Purdue some great minutes. He knows his role. He doesn't try to stray away from it. He's a plus 17 on Saturday for Purdue. That's not the best stat in the world because there are a lot of other factors that go into it, but it's not completely irrelevant either. He was out there helping Purdue big time on defense, moving the basketball on offense. Again, you can look at his stat sheet. I mean, he had an assist, and if he didn't have an assist, it would have been a 12 trillion. But you can't argue that he didn't help Purdue win. Last possession of the game, he plays solid defenses. Alabama's going up for a layup to try to cut it to a two-point game, I think. And, you know, Purdue gets the rebound and it's over. His role is limited. His role is going to be limited, but he plays it very well. That's that's a guy who's very bought in to what Purdue's trying to do. Purdue overcame some real adversity. Uh, Going down 12 points early, then you're down nine right away in the second half. Just a, a really poor start to the second half for Purdue. And after that, the game just flipped. Purdue took the lead. Alabama fought right back, but Purdue holds on in the end. Purdue kept itself in the game, and good things happened. I don't think Alabama was capable of shooting over 50% from three on that type of volume. On, what did they shoot? 46 three-pointers. They go 19 for 46, so still 41%. 41% on 46 threes is as good as you're going to get. Um, typically, as you raise the volume, that percentage is going to get lower. And it didn't. He 
you know, Purdue had to kind of bear with that and just take it for what it was and keep going. And Purdue did. Alabama cooled off a bit in the second half. Purdue didn't cool off on offense. Purdue kept scoring. And Purdue got the job done. That That's a big-time win. You've seen Purdue come back a couple of times now. Gonzaga, uh, Purdue struggled early on against Tennessee. Now this game against Alabama. Purdue's beaten some different styles of teams now. We're 10 games in, about a third of the way through the regular season. I, I still just can't get my, my head around Alabama shooting about 70% of its shots from three-point range. I, I don't know if I've seen that before. But from the opening tip, this felt like a game Purdue was going to have to score 85, 90 points to win somewhere in that ballpark, and it did. Purdue did that. Purdue has won a rock fight against Tennessee. Purdue has won against some more wide-open offenses. Gonzaga, Marquette, now Alabama, Iowa, yes. But I, when I went to record this, Iowa was losing to Michigan. I don't know what to think of the Hawkeyes this year. They're down 13 right now in the second half. So might not be the year for the Hawkeyes, but... I don't know if Purdue wins a game like this last season. I don't know if Purdue has enough offense around Zach Eady last season to win a game like this. Now it did, and that's huge. Speaking of huge, you know, you move on to Arizona next weekend. What a what a non-conference slate this has been. Purdue is as battle-tested as anyone in the country right now. It has a fantastic resume. It, it the one loss it took. You know, Northwestern's inside the top 50 at Ken Palm right now. Could end up being a quad one loss in the long game. Purdue, Arizona, number one versus number four in this week's AP poll. Again, it's Sunday, so new poll drops Monday, but it shouldn't change really. As of Sunday, it's number two versus number three in Ken Palm. It's going to be an awesome game, and it very well could be the game of the year to this date in college basketball. It's a situation where both teams really don't have much to lose because it's such a high-level game. Obviously, you want to win. It'd be a massive win. You know, you go into the the holiday stretch with a win like that, you're on cloud nine. But if you lose, I mean, it's one of the top teams in college basketball for either side. You live. You move on. It's not a big deal. It is kind of hilarious. This game's on Peacock. Um as I've said, the, this is part of the new world of college athletics. So if you don't have Peacock and you're not going to the game, make sure you have Peacock. You're probably going to want to watch this one. But this should be a great turnout for Purdue. I think, you know, sitting at 9-1 and one, playing in Indianapolis against the number one team in the country, if Purdue can't get an awesome atmosphere in Gainbridge Fieldhouse for this game, probably time to stop doing the regular season deal in Indianapolis. I don't think that's going to be a problem, but worth noting because it hasn't always been that way. Look, Arizona's excellent. Purdue's going to have its hands full. This is kind of a toss-up game. If you look at Ken Palm, advanced metrics are all going to have this as about a toss-up. Purdue's also excellent, though. You know, this is, this is a big-time matchup. It's going to be a great test for Purdue. But again, the, the nice part is, what do you have to lose? Very little. 
Wanted to get to a few questions from Twitter before I get into football real quick. Uh, first question, does yesterday make you more or less confident that Purdue can win against a really good slash athletic backcourt in the NCAA tournament? I think more, right? You know, I, I think you're seeing Purdue be excellent on the offensive end when it doesn't turn the ball over. And, you know, you're going to give up points to them. Like Alabama, Alabama's offense is incredible every year. You know, right now it's the number one offense in the country on Ken Palm. And it, it's like that more years than not. You know, looking through here, it's it's always a really good offense. And the SEC plays a style where, you know, it's, it's very different than what the Big Ten goes through. Much more up-tempo, much more athletic. Um, if a team has guards like that and can really defend, then I think, you know, probably gives you more concern, but teams like that aren't exactly a dime a dozen. You know, I don't think you're going to be facing, you know, on a hypothetical road to the championship, you're not going to face six teams like that. There may not be six out there who can defend much better than Alabama can and have that type of elite guard play. Um, so, yeah, I think better. You know, if you want to be concerned, yeah, you know, giving up 86 points is never ideal, but that's just the way Alabama plays. Sometimes the opponent dictates the tempo a bit, and Purdue wants to play a little more up, uh, you know, up tempo this year as well. A win's a win, but where does yesterday's win versus Alabama rank for you this season? And then also asked if you combine football and basketball, who's a better program, Purdue or Alabama? Uh, Alabama. Alabama. But the real question, it's hard to rank wins. Every game's real different. I thought winning that Marquette game was big because you know, we know Marquette's very good. You were playing your third game in as many days, hung on late. Tennessee had its merits you know, of playing through just really what had to be a beyond frustrating game to play in. And with this, you know, showing that resiliency and coming back to win, I I don't know how you really rank them, but, I mean, it's up there. It's up there with those two, I'd say. Uh, should Trey Kaufman-Wren come off the bench, and should slash could we see more of Camden Heidi? Personally, I'm not one that really likes to see starting lineup changes just for the sake of doing it. I, I don't think there's a ton of benefit in that. I think you can get a little bit more comfortable in the way you start games and start halves with the you know a continu continuity in the starting five. Purdue's also nine and one, so there's a very real element of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's not broke. There are going to be some games where he and Edie playing together works better than others. But again, I don't think there's a perfect answer for Purdue at the four spot this year. I don't think that's the end of the world. I think ideally you'd love to have someone establish themselves as the guy. But I think they're different enough that you can kind of use it as a game-to-game -game deal. So I don't think it's the biggest deal. I, I don't see a reason to change up the lineup. And on Camden Heidi, should we see Cam Heidi more? Probably, but where did the minutes come from? That's the really hard part of where Purdue is right now. They have 10 guys who need to play. You can't, you know, these guys aren't going to be DNPs. 
That's just not the way this is going to go. So, you know, he's done some really good things. I just don't know where they come from. It's the same deal for Miles Colvin. It's it's the same deal for all the guys at the four. It's just really hard when you have 10 guys who are who are legitimate rotational pieces at minimum with two superstars out there who don't really come off the court much. And then last question here before we get into football, what else does this team need to do to prove that it can make a deep run into March? Is there a clear Achilles heel that has been evident through non-con? In terms of proving anything, nothing. I don't think there's much more that Purdue really has to prove other than just getting to March and doing it, and that's not coming any faster. It's December 10th. Selection Sunday is March 17th, so you have more than three months until then. No matter how hard you try, how much you wish it to get here quicker, it's not going to, which is why I kind of keep harping on Enjoy what you're seeing from Zach Eady right now. There's a pretty good chance you don't see it again. Um, In terms of an Achilles heel, I think it's the turnovers. It's the self-inflicted turnovers. You're going to have some. When you play through the post as much as you do, and when you have Braden Smith kind of wheeling and dealing as much as he does, there will be turnovers. There will be strips of Eady. There will be tipped passes when Braden Smith tries to get it out of the lane. Um, That stuff's going to happen. But if it pops up at the wrong time and Purdue's looking at, you know, like 15 to 18 turnovers, then anyone can pick you off. But if you're not, if you're taking care of the basketball, God, I don't know. It'd be tough. It'd be tough to see Purdue, you know, losing against a team that's not elite without shooting itself in the foot a bit. Wanted to talk a little bit about the transfer portal here, closing in on a half hour. So don't want to take too much time, but Purdue is building through the transfer portal right now. This was the first weekend of visits for transfer portal kids. couple of commitments, uh, three of them on the offensive line. Joey Tonona, a Notre Dame guy. Very interesting story here. A player who uh, was a very highly regarded recruit, commits to Notre Dame, gets in an auto accident prior to his career really starting in South Bend, retires from football due to the injuries he sustained. Now, you know, he's going to try to give it a go again. I can't speak to any of the medical stuff. I have no clue. But as I said, you know, a big time recruit, number 135 overall in the class of 2022 per on three. And if there's one area where recruiting rankings are pretty good, it's the offensive line. There are only so many human beings that are that big to play at the Big Ten level, to play at the SEC level. So, you know, if he can get back to what he was as a high school prospect, Purdue might have really gotten something here. Will he be able to play right away? We'll see. I have no clue. He has four years of eligibility, though, so it's not the be-all, end-all. Then a couple more. Corey Stewart, offensive lineman from Ball State, committed. He was a left tackle for Ball State, as is always kind of the question with these transfer portal linemen. Can he stick at tackle, or does he need to move inside? Time will tell. Uh, If he can play tackle, that's fantastic for Purdue. That's, That's the dream. DJ Wingfield from New Mexico committed to Purdue today as well. 
sounds like a guy who's that guard slash tackle can play both. Probably means he's best set for guard. But Purdue needs that too. Purdue needs it all. So three commits for Purdue um, on the offensive line. And also this Jamarius Dinkins, a defensive end from Kentucky. He's coming to Purdue. 6-5-280. So it'll be interesting to see where Purdue plays him. If they look to line him up on the defensive line or stand him up as an outside linebacker, we'll find out. Um, anytime you can get a guy from the SEC, you do it. I do believe in that. I, I'm a huge believer there. I know it's not what everyone wants to hear, but the SEC has the best talent in the country. And if you can get some of that, you'll take it. Look, per on three, Purdue has lost 21 players to the portal at this point. Uh, I'll go with that because I have not been tracking it myself. Few walk-ons have hopped in, so how do you want to track that? Do what you may. Most of these losses were not exactly crushing for Purdue. There are a few that are big. Deion Burks, uh, OC Brothers a little bit, Kaltenberger, Paca, Sidnor, some of your bigger ones, but as a whole... Purdue's just kind of retooling this roster. I don't know if there's an exact target number for Purdue in the portal of guys it wants to take, but it needs a number. You know, right now, I think the biggest focus is on wide receiver, if you ask me. Purdue's built up the offensive line a bit, three transfers in there, but it's got work to do at wide receiver. Running back is super thin. I think you're into that. Corner. Man, in that system, you need good corners. If you can get a good one, you take it. Uh, the transfer portal is nuts, but it's where we're at. So we'll see what Purdue can do. I'll keep you in the loop. I wanted to answer a football question, and then we'll wrap this. Longtime listener emailed me and asked about uh, you know, Matt Rule saying that a talented quarterback in the portal costs $1 to $2 million in NIL. And he kind of asked, you know, what does it cost for Purdue to acquire a quality offensive lineman, wide receiver, running back, pointing out that, you know, Purdue needs all of that. And he says, without a meaningful amount of NIL resources, I don't know how Purdue is going to punch higher in the conference. Let's start with, you know, some of the cost. Um, I can't claim to be super privy to these details and I don't like to speculate on this stuff because I, I don't think it's fair to the players or the players' families or the programs to have wild speculation of how much money guys are getting. I think that's a bit of a slippery slope. But, you know, we know these guys aren't coming free, uh, especially these offensive linemen. You look at offensive tackle, might be the most high-demand position in the portal besides quarterback for the teams that need a quarterback. Everyone needs offensive tackles. Everyone does. You look at last year, Ohio State needed a couple of offensive tackles, and it filled it okay, but not as well as it would have liked. There are only so many human beings that are big enough to play offensive tackle at the Power 5 level that when you get the guys that can do it, and you know our, our football players, everyone's going to be after them. Um, I... I feel like receivers and running backs probably more replaceable. So I don't know if the NIL demand is as high there. But if you get a good one, they're not staying for free because someone will go pay them. Um, it's, it's tough. It's very tough. 
when you at, when you point out, you know, without a meaningful amount of NIL resources, how is Purdue going to punch higher? Yeah, you know, it's going to be difficult. Even but even if NIL wasn't a factor in all of this, adding USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington to the conference dramatically changes things. Dramatically. It is four new programs that historically are stronger than Purdue. Four programs, well, at least three that right now appear very invested in winning at a high level with USC, Washington, and Oregon. You just saw Washington and Oregon's quarterbacks at the Heisman ceremony last night, and you saw USC's quarterback, who you know none of those guys will be around next year, but he won the Heisman last year. Some really high-level players coming in. You still have Michigan. You still have Ohio State. You still have Penn State. The league is loaded. Um, I don't know that NIL changes that too dramatically, but what it does is... You know, it gives every school an opportunity to try to flex their NIL muscles to the best of their abilities. Is that a muscle that Purdue has? I don't really know. I, again, I'm not going to claim to be privy to all these details, but you know, Purdue has to find a way to bridge the gap. Purdue can't be out there, you know, trying to play checkers while everyone else is playing chess and throwing money around instead of chess pieces. Purdue's got to be involved in that a bit. Um, Ryan Walters has been very open about that as much so as he can be saying that, look, Purdue's got to, Purdue's got to continue to raise money for NIL because without it, he feels like it's questionable that he can build a big time program at Purdue. I don't know that I blame him. Um, that's a long way of saying, I don't know exactly what it costs, but I would at least think any player worth having as a starter, you know, I think you're probably looking at someone who can get six figures on an open market. Um, that's all I have for today. Again, thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for sticking around here for however many of the 200 episodes you've sat through. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it. You're always welcome to tweet me at Boilers Beyond. Email the show, boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com. Again, I hope you guys enjoy this. Unless something earth-shattering happens, I'll be back here next week after Purdue plays Arizona. I will break that down. Uh, we'll have an update on football because I am sure there will be news. And we'll talk about anything else that happens in the meantime. But follow on Twitter and subscribe. And until next time, take care, everyone.